Thank you for joining us for another podcast from the Commonwealth Club. Good evening and welcome to today's meeting of the Commonwealth Club of California. I'm Denise Michaud, Chair of the Grown Ups Forum and your host for today. We also welcome our listening audience and we invite everyone to visit us online at commonwealthclub.org. Our program tonight is called The Personal Side of Home Care. And now it is my pleasure to introduce our distinguished speakers. Frank Bellanti is the owner of Home Instead in San Francisco. He's a San Francisco native. And while watching his mom take care of his father for 10 years, after his dad had a significant stroke, Frank then went on to find a passion and fulfillment in the home care industry. Frank is also very involved in the Italian community. He is a board member for the Italian Community Services and the Italian Heritage Day Celebration. Alessandra Bellanti is Frank's daughter. She is a director of care management. She has a master's of education from San Francisco State University. Previously, she worked as an educator of young children and brings her compassion and empathetic nature to her work with seniors. Victoria Black is a gerontologist. She received her Master's of Art in Gerontology at San Francisco State University. Quality of life at the end of life has truly been her passion to ensure that older adults have the highest level of care while maintaining their dignity and independence. Please welcome Frank, Alessandra, and Victoria. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for coming tonight. Um, hopefully, we could give you some useful information about possibly uh, aging in place, staying home if you like. And we're going to look at um, personal care through our company or companies similar to the agencies, give you a little bit of the choices that you may have uh, as you age. Because what we see in this business that's really um, striking, I think, is no matter how old you are, uh, there's unexpected twists and turns that come your way that if you're really not prepared for some of the decisions that you have possibly that will affect your family long-term financially, um, your care in particular, and uh, the ability to make the right choices to kind of really have a comfortable and happy uh, older period of time in your life. So I think we're going to start, please, if you wouldn't mind. We're going to go through a whole process with ending with a little technology that's coming our way also that looks like what's coming maybe in the future, but, uh, and, then, and then wrap it up. So... Alessandra? Yes. So I'm going to talk a little bit about Home Care 101. What is home care? Why you need it? um, What it entails? So um, as more people are aging into their 70s, 80s, 90s, and beyond, um, America has reached um, a place where it needs to broaden the continuum of care. Millions of seniors need assistance with the day-to-day tasks that don't require them to necessarily leave their homes to go to skilled nursing or to be placed in the hospital. Many of you may have heard the term aging in place, which means that um, a senior is making the conscious decision to stay at home as long as they can, um, and that's what's important to them. They don't want to leave, and they want to bring um, any help that they need to their home. Um, And sometimes that means hiring some help um, that you 
you know, so you don't have to leave. Um, and home care as an industry is very, is pretty young. Um, it was created as an innovative solution to the fast growing needs of the aging population. Um, it provides seniors with the choice of how and where they age, and it delivers peace of mind to the family members who are unable for a variety of reasons to provide all of the care that their loved ones need. Um, home care is an important service to help seniors achieve the best quality of life possible for them. Um, it can enable anything from safety and security that helps um, increase independence. It can ease management of an ongoing medical condition. It can also help um, avoid unnecessary hospitalizations. And it also um, aids in the recovery after an illness, an injury, or a hospital stay, all through the care in the familiarity of your own home. Um, so, And what, what we end up seeing a lot, and to Alessandra's point, um, it's not only the decisions you have to make, uh, it's somewhat of the um, denial of the facts, sometimes along with emotion that come through these decisions that are that are coming your way or your family members' way. Um, it's a very difficult time. Uh, a lot of times I think what you see is once we're in your house, it's very difficult to, to imagine us not being there any longer. So independence is gone. Uh, there's all kinds of things that are tied in with with care in your house that you're giving up, right? Because um, there's we're assisting with things that normally you could do on your own. So the idea being realistically as best we can to be able to keep you there, make the right decisions, uh, keep emotion to a, 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 a slight minimum because it's very difficult to do and, and help in, in the ability, again, to, to go through your daily ADLs, which is your, your active, your dressing, your feeding, your, uh, and um, hydration and medicine. Yeah. So what does home care include? It includes anything from personal care. So you just need some help showering, bathing, um, getting dressed, um, ambulation, your, you know, your walking might not be what it was. So you'd like someone close by for safety assistance, standby assistance and safety monitoring. Um, maybe it's harder to prepare meals the way that you once did. And so you want someone to come shop for you, cook for you, put meals in your fridge that you can heat up, uh, medication management, which includes re reminders to take your pills at the certain times of day that you're supposed to, um, or even something as simple as running errands, going to appointments to the doctor, um, going grocery shopping, things that used to be so easy that maybe now it might be a cumbersome thing for you to do. And lastly, the idea of companionship, just having someone come a few times a week, once, twice a week, um, to do activities that maybe you can no longer do. For example, I have a client who she's, um, she has, you know, just her, some balance issues. She's in good health otherwise. So twice a week, she has a caregiver come and they garden together because she's scared to garden on her own for the risk of falling. So um, companionship can range from doing activities all the way to just conversation, someone to talk to, engage your mind. Um, sometimes that piece of home care is just as important as the physical safety part, just to um, have another person um, to help um, avoid loneliness so that you're not always by yourself um, and you can rely on someone else um, and allowing you to maybe do the things that you once did independently with some assistance. 
Um, so home care specifically focuses on the non-medical needs. Um, so that it doesn't require a doctor's order and it can continue for as long as or as little as you feel necessary. Um, it fills a critical gap for seniors between hospital stays, um, possible nursing home visits, and the care that are provided by children or loved ones um, in their family that when they come to, to provide some um, relief care. And the question being, how do you know when you need the care? Because that's always the issue, right? Um, who's gonna Who's gonna dictate, make that call within your family, within your relationships, and uh, being able to really get the uh, the assistance that you need? What we find a lot of times is we we'll see it during the holidays that uh, family members where you're you're more apt to be together for an extended period of time notice some uh, maybe some cognitive decline in some of their family members uh, some uh, unsteadiness with their gait uh, maybe you're looking at some issues that uh, you look in the freezer and there's food that's been there forever or in the refrigerator that's that's moldy that they're just things that are triggering little red flags that normally don't happen and uh, then there's an issue. Uh, the issue sometimes is slow moving and it's been planned for and uh, there's finances available to, to deal with it. And then sometimes you're not as lucky and it's thrust in your lap that there's a stroke, there's a heart attack, there's a, a diagnosis of whatever it is that you need immediate care. And it's like, what do we do now? Because it affects the whole family, obviously. Uh, it isn't just you as an individual. Everybody wants to protect their family from their time, uh, their concern, uh, and financially. So that it's a, a daunting task uh, moving through this system. So, and these are all the things that we are we try to help navigate. Sure. And some, uh, so Victoria, our role uh, working as care managers is we go into people's homes and um, we see things and red flags. And oftentimes family members will call um, an agency and say, here's some things that I'm noticing about my, you know, mom, dad, and uncle, whomever, or my sister. Um, I went into their home and they've lost a little bit of weight or there's no food in their house and their, chain, their, their hygiene's not what it used to be. And also I'm noticing there's some forgetfulness or repetition of things like these are small little red flags that I'm noticing and I'm wondering about home care. And those are the conversations that, that we start to have with, with the people themselves who might think they need care or family members that are interested in, in learning more about what it means to have home care in their home. And it, so once you decide maybe that you may need some care or you're looking into care, there's a multitude of choices to make. There's uh, an agency similar to ours uh, we are bonded. We're licensed. All the agencies uh, have a license through the state of California. Uh, workers' comp insurance. We do San Francisco Healthy. We do all the things that we're supposed to do. Uh, due to those costs, obviously, they're passed on to the consumer. Uh, so we're a little bit more expensive. Less expensive, obviously, is if there's an option for private. Uh, that Somebody finds a friend of a friend that they're going to employ as a caregiver in their home. Um, there's the the decision is yours to make just understanding that possibly if you have this uh decision to go with the private you are now the employer you and everything that goes with being an employer so uh when you're with agency that gets taken off you're the consumer once you go private you are the employer yeah. And also having an agency allows as a, it's a liaison between um, the caregiver that 
that is in the home. So care management will come out and do an assessment. They make a care plan. They communicate to the caregivers what they need to do while they're working in the home. Um, but if you take if you take on the role of um, the employer hiring privately, you're in charge of all of that. So it it eases off some of the stress on family to to use an agency rather than to go um, that route of hiring privately. Go ahead. Yes. Oh, sorry. So, <laughs> so, so sorry. <laughs> so as we as we look at this, the transition, uh, you, the, there's, and what you're finding, what we're seeing that's going on uh, with, with um, this license uh, or non-licensed companies. Uh, once you go to, if you're if you're going private and you decide to be the employer, you have to be aware that you have to 1099 people, that you have to pay for potential overtime costs that may be coming your way. Uh, there's a sleep exemption rule that went away uh, a few years ago through the um, federal government that if they're getting time off at nighttime to sleep and they don't sleep, that they could come back and ask for overtime and then back overtime for extended period of time. So there's these pitfalls that, that you have to maneuver. It's a decision that you can make. It saves money, obviously, because you pay less that way because it's direct. However, if you come to us, um, there's it's private pay for the agencies. Uh, long-term care assists. They'll, they'll, they'll um, reimburse. reimburse um, and then you'll have workers' comp on occasion will pay also. And then we'll go into talk a little bit about um, the, the transition of the population growing. Because as we look at statistically, 9 out of 10 people would like to stay at home. Uh, as seniors, are, if they're coming in and, and they wouldn't be able to have the ability to stay at home. We see a lot of times uh, we'll go into a home and unfortunately they haven't planned accordingly and the choice is out of their hands. It's just very, very financially, it's, it's a very big hit um, it, it, to not be prepared for. Yeah, so speaking of sort of statistics and just in general, maybe we're thinking, sure, home care, this sounds like something that I don't need at all, right? In the future, maybe. Um, but actually, the reality is we are a huge growing population. Um, so to throw some numbers at you guys, for, so next year in 2020, um, which is we're going to have 56 million Americans that are going to be over the age of 65. And that number just keeps growing, obviously, with the baby boomer generation. So by 2050, which seems like a long time, but 30 years can fly, um, the number is going to jump to 85 million. And so obviously that's a huge amount of individuals. 65 is young now, as we know. It's not, it's not the same as it was before. Um, but they're actually, with all these large numbers on top of that, 70% of Americans that reach the age of 65 are going to need help some sort, one way or another. It's just the facts. Um, so what we also, also see and what we want to try and educate on are things that there are ways to sort of help prevent that or um, delay maybe uh, to where you don't have to have it right away um, because also falls are huge. Falls happen all the time. Um, most of the time we can't really control them, unfortunately. Um, and especially, so they're the number one reason for emergency visits. And they're also the number one reason for leading cause of injuries that lead to death in people 65 or older. So that's 
terrible, right? That's a huge amount. So what we're wanting to kind of look at is, okay, without getting too depressed, what can we do to sort of help, right? Um, so there are definitely things that, that we can sort of do and work out of, and I think, you know, Frank has examples of what it looks like enter into this time. <laughs> well, and yesterday I had a, an interesting conversation with a gentleman that's in, the, that's in this industry, right? So we see it all the time. Uh, he's talking about his mother-in-law and father-in-law. We're in San Francisco. My, his, mom, his mother and father-in-law are in their 80s, mid-80s to late 80s, uh, in a, a two-story house, hardwood floors uh, by themselves. And at nighttime, they put on the socks, you know, for warmth, although the, his, he's saying the, slock, the socks are slippery. So it's his, to the fall portion, is it's, it's an accident waiting to happen. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, that's, there's so many preventable deal, there's so many preventable aspects of, of kind of having a set of eyes look at it. Um, and to uh, Victoria's point, what our care managers do or what agencies care managers could possibly do is walk into the house. Sometimes you don't remember or you won't, you won't really want to have a grab bar possibly in your bathroom or somewhere in the house, but the grab bar is going to save you a little bit of time so you don't have to go to the hospital and make that visit that you may all of a sudden get have a broken hip and then it leads to God knows where. Because we see that once that starts, that it's just it's, it's a slippery slope to be able to come back home. So there may be a throw rug that all of a sudden maybe shouldn't be there. There's all kinds of different things that their expertise could come in to possibly maybe you start out that maybe you just need somebody to come for a couple hours a a day or four hours a day or whatever the minimum may be to help out and not have to have that, that extended period because you've saved yourself from being, it being forced on you Mm -hmm. because uh, once you don't have that choice again, it's not a very happy place because um, it's difficult. It's very difficult to have somebody in your house. I mean, Nobody wants anybody in their house. <laughs> Nobody does. And it's a very unfortunate conversation that we have because we have to plan for it as we all age. And hopefully we all get lucky enough that we don't need that. But it's always good to have the discussion because when the time happens to be prepared is, is priceless. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, priceless. it's one of, so having a person there can really assist with those sort of what if moments, right? Um, in fact, I know a woman who is a very young 96. Um, she, every day she lives in Twin Peaks in the, in the city and she walks two flights of stairs outside to get to the top and walks the two miles around. She did this every day until one morning, an off day, she was at the bottom of the stairs and found herself getting a dizzy spell and sat down and realized okay, today I, I can't do the stairs. And it, it scared her. Luckily, she didn't go up the stairs because that could have ended in a hospital visit or an injury. Um, but what she has now is one day a week, she's slowly getting the confidence again. She just has um, a companion come and walk <laughs> her up those stairs so she can get to the top and still do her normal exercise there, but with that sort of extra hands-on stability in case something happens. So home care, it's not just, you know, the last, the last resort. It can really help to sort of continue on the life that you want to live independently, but maybe recognizing that there's a little assistance that could be helpful. 
and she, she, her and I have spoke about it and what she was the most scared of is the hospital visit, right? Of course, nobody wants to go to the hospital. Maybe if you're having a baby, that's exciting. Um, but other than that, you don't, you don't want to go. I don't want to go. Um, and so a lot of that we can't control, hospital visits, but something, another thing that we've realized is hospital readmissions are huge. And in um, 70% of the cases, the readmissions can be avoided. Um, and like you were talking to me about too, what unfortunately the reality of, of sometimes hospital. Yeah. With, with insurance, the way it's working, uh, nowadays there, each and every instance of a hospital admission has a certain amount of dollars that go with it. Right. Um, it's, it's a lump sum generally speaking, and, uh, which starts from the time of, of, of admission to discharge. And that may include uh, your if there's surgery or if there's just an extended uh, stay with drugs uh, that it's, uh, that you need more potent drugs while you're there that you can't do at home. However, it also includes uh, possibly the, because is anybody here from the hospitals? Is there anybody that uh, works in a hospital? <laughs> Can you wait out for a minute? Yeah. <laughs> so, so what, what ends up happening truthfully is it's almost like, and, and this is probably a really not really a great analogy. However, it's like turning a table, right? Because they're forced to spend X amount of dollars. They need to, if the dollars are out, it, it's better for the person. You're getting discharged a lot earlier than one would ever think. Uh, that, that happens all the time. We see this even though the family's going to sit there and push back. You as an individual say, I'm not quite sure I'm stable enough, but, you know, I can't. Once you could get up, once you could get they, that you're, 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 they've done their job. Don't get me wrong. They've done a phenomenal job getting you to the point of getting home. However, being able to... Uh, safely stay home is difficult. So we work really closely with some of the hospitals at discharge that they're comfortable having. They're really pushing for care at home to be able, because you're leaving a little bit earlier, you're leaving not in, in, in as long a period of time to recuperate to, to, I would say, like the old days when you could actually stay a little bit longer. So it's a different process now that you must be aware of because Sometimes you think you're going to be there a little bit, and the next thing you know, you're, you're on your way home. And, you know, we're here to help. Everybody's here to help uh, agencies, whatever. But uh, this is another thing to really be aware of as you go through this process. There is, and with readmissions for the hospital, there, there is a readmissions penalty for them that, that, that if somebody goes and keeps coming back, that's going to be problematic to them because there are going to be penalties because they really haven't done a good job it's, as it's looked at, to to keep this person healthy, safe, and not coming back, and you and where they need where where there's such demand in all aspects of the, of, of medical care now. Yeah, and back to my statistics, uh, one in five people are readmitted, which is a lot of a number, and that's and but majority of it can be like I was saying, can be avoided. Um, a lot of it actually has to do with um, medication, sort of the mismanaging of it with um, timing and doses because what, what we tend to see is often people are sent home and normally there's maybe a change in medication or there's an additional medication that there might be side effects to. Maybe you're going to get lightheaded after it and you're not used to that. Um, so again, it's just sort of 
being able to plan ahead and know that these are just the facts, even if you know and you can tell yourself, you know, I'm going to go home and I'm going to be extra cautious when I get up to go to the bathroom. Well, if you always get up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night when that's what you need to do, it's just what you do. But there's just things to look out for and having sort of a extra fresh set of eyes or, or a body literally there to help protect can really help with that readmission and that sort of amount of people. Um, most people as, as adults, you're thinking, I can be there for my family <laughs> member or my children will be there for me. Well, unfortunately, fortunately, everyone's living longer. So um, your adult children are adults that probably have their life that they're managing their full-time job. So it's definitely something that can, they can assist, of course, and they want to, but I think it can also kind of take a toll, um, which isn't really talked about too much or, or acknowledged that that can be a lot on, on someone's family member. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, and I'll, I'll share just a couple of personal stories because I think maybe you could understand this. Um, my, my, my dad, uh, he came here. Um, he was a commercial fisherman in San Francisco, so I'm born and raised here, right? So he came from Italy when he was 15, very strong-willed, strong guy, loved to read, do all these things. And to go out uh, independently on that boat, was it wasn't for me. Uh, it, <laughs> I'd go on my vacation from college and try to make a couple extra bucks and say, thanks, Dad, but I think it's time to go back. He had a stroke um, uh, at 74 years old, just a major, major stroke. And it knocked him, I mean, just completely out. I mean, uh, it, was, it was horrific. And my mom took care of him for, for 10 years without actually wanting anybody in her house again, right? So uh, at that point, then there's the pull, the push and the pull of family, right? Uh, Alessandra at that point was 14. She's playing sports. Uh, she has in high school, she needs the support from, from me. Mm -hmm. My mom is taking care of my dad, who's now wiped out and, uh, it's, it's going to be very difficult. And she did it. God, God bless her, um, and helped and never really needed, uh, additional. She was strong enough to do that, but it puts the family in turmoil. It is like a hurricane came in and just, just immediately a, a hurricane came. And there, if you... I don't know if she would have, you know, she, we always offered to, to have the help come, but she just didn't want it. Um, there was another portion that my, I had a great aunt 102 going across the city. So you have, because she, this was a hydration issue. And then what ends up happening is part of what we're talking about is the socialization or lack of when you get a little bit older is a lot of your friends pass uh, unfortunately, and you have these these interactions that are no longer there. So you have a lot of different times. So my great aunt would, you know, that you get to the hospital and you understand the right words to say about heart attack or thinking you have a heart attack so you could get admitted. So you have this whole process that's almost like a comfort to be in, in the system. And uh, so we, uh, she got a caregiver actually after about two months of quite a few trips going back and forth. Uh, the hospital actually got to the point that they that they weren't going to see her any longer because as they kept doing all the tests, you, nothing was wrong. Hmm. So a caregiver came and stayed for twelve about ten years with her, and and really it was a socialization, it's hydration, but it's more of the company and that really makes a big difference a lot of times with seniors that we see. Yeah. Um, and home care often is one of those things that people don't realize that they need until it's a crisis. Like he mentions, you have a big medical event that happens and then you're discharged to go home. And um, it's 
the family has to scramble to figure out, well, what do we do now? You know? And so, um, it becomes so, sort of a burden on the people in the, the, their parents, the, the children of the parents, it becomes something that they have to take on. Um, so, family members assume caregiving roles. So then they have to start thinking about the cost of, well, if I want help, how much is it going to cost the time it takes for me to devote my days and my nights to taking care of my mom or my dad or my aunt or whoever has been placed in charge, who's going to make the key decisions. So people have to think about who's going to be my power of attorney, who's going to make my medical decisions for me, the medical directive. Um, You think about, do my parents, do they have a trust? Where am I going to get the money to pay for all of these things that are coming up medically? Um, did they pay into a long-term care insurance policy? That's one of the questions that I often um, ask during my consults. So do your parents have a long-term care insurance? And they look at each other and like, I don't know. (laughs) You know, it's something that maybe it's a conversation piece you've never had with your parent or your sister or brother if you're now tasked with making um, medical and financial decisions for them. Um, So with all of the factors involved, it's important to start planning ahead so that should something happen, um, all the ducks are in a row and everyone knows who's, which child is doing this and what, who's doing what, because everyone has to have a role or some people don't need any role and there's one person. So that's, these are all factors that when you start talking about home care, you have to start thinking about. You are listening to the Commonwealth Club of California. Hear thousands of our podcasts on iTunes, Google Play and Stitcher. And when you're in the Bay Area, please join us live for one of our 500 programs each year. You can find us online at commonwealthclub.org. Now, back to our program. One piece of the caregiving, family caregiver, is this um, idea of respite care. A lot of people don't know what that term means, um, but it basically means um, it's a service that provides caregivers... um, to families to give them some temporary relief, whether that be they just need to go back to their own family, they need time to go to the gym or to sleep. Um, a lot of times um, seniors need care at night because they wake up so much and it's not safe for them. So they have families that are sleeping on the couches and making sure that when their mom and dad gets up to go to the bathroom, they're doing it safely. So they're getting up multiple times a night. So sometimes it's just having that person come in to provide you with some relief um, because it'll it's a stressful time and then you get burnt out. And then, you know, what do you do after that? And you want to be present. Yeah. You want to be present with there. You don't want to be exhausted and tired and have to be up all night 10 times when maybe someone else can be there. It helps, I think. So as you look at the, there's uh, approximately 10,000 people a day for the next 20 years turning 65. The demand on the system is going to be unbelievable. Uh, the the ability to find caregivers is going to short. There's going to be a caregiver shortage, if not already. Uh, the, it's really going to be difficult to handle the demand of what's coming our way. Um, with that, there's a, a bunch of uh, a lot of different technologies that are starting to come into play to try to hold off the initial caregiver. Um, entrance into your house and maybe with technology being able to be a portion of, of the care that could hold off and, and bring you to the point that when you need it a little bit later, then it's a little bit more affordable. Uh, and there's a few things I think that you could kind of share with us about what may be coming our way. Yeah, definitely. So I think too, um, it's one of those things that you don't really look into until you need it. 
Um, so some of the things just to sort of educate that could be very helpful. Uh, one of the things, like I said earlier, about medication and that sort of management is huge. Um, so there's, of course, I'm sure most of you have heard of the, re the regular Medisets, you know, the Sunday through Saturday, AM, PM. Um, however, those are great and they keep you on top of it. But if you have maybe um, some type of memory loss or need a reminder of the time, um, they do have some that actually can play music or can be voice controlled. So you can record, you know, your daughter's voice saying, mom, take your pills. And it annoyingly reminds you until you come and take it. So it's almost as if your children were there. Um, and it, in fact, I, uh, my, my grandmother, who would normally every day when Jeopardy came on at seven, she knew she had to take her evening medication. That was her reminder until she um, one day forgot she took it because she went to the bathroom when it started, so came back and then had double taken her evening meds. So something that doesn't sort of give you the full access to all of them if you're by yourself can be really helpful. Um, so that's good for sort of the pill m medication management. Uh, there also is something called, so not only sort of the medical side of it, but um, there's also, of course, like Frank said, there's the things you can install, so grab bars, and you can tape down rugs so people don't trip. Um, but there's also, now that we're in a technological world, everyone has an iPhone, um, maybe not wanting to use it or understand it if you're in your later years. So there are things that are sort of more focused. So there's something called a grand pad, um, very similar to an iPad. However, it's just larger, more user-friendly for someone who isn't <coughs> used to using your phone for everything, um, which also can be used as part of it's called a virtual visit. So you can, which is basically like FaceTime. Um, what people have done is sort of set up the, the grand pad, which is kind of large on, you know, you can even put it on a chair in a dining room table and eat dinner with your parents. If you're across the world or your grandchildren can call in and say, you know, hi, grandma, I'm here working on my homework. Do you want to sit with me? And so even if they can't physically be there, whether the kids cannot be with you or whether it's just too difficult to get out to see them, there's, there's options and larger screens and easier to use. Um, it has just also more programming that you can do from afar. So, <clears throat> so it wouldn't have to be answered. You could just call in and it, there you are on the screen. So that's kind of interesting. Um, alert bracelets, which I'm sure you can all remember the I've fallen and I can't get up commercial. Um, they have come a long way as well. Now they used to, you just, you used to have to be in a certain radius um, from the original hub in your home, but now they come um, with there's, there's sort of ranges. So you can get larger radiuses where you can be outside in your garden, gardening, um, and still have that, or even a little bit higher. And um, they come with GPS. <coughs> so if you, ha if you are out and about, out the grocery store, on your way to the grocery store on a walk, um, and something happens, hopefully not, but it does call and use your location, which is really great. Um, and they can be worn in all different ways. It's not big, chunky necklaces. They can be bracelets. They can be watches. Um, it can hook on your belt loop. So more of a hidden thing where you don't have to feel so targeted with it on, which I think is great, um, especially since I said before falls are, we want to prevent them and get your treatment as soon as possible to prevent any 
bigger injury. Um, and then another thing actually that is sort of, I think, a just starting um, with the home devices like Alexa and the Amazon Echo, I think is what it's called. They now have a package you can buy that is a for medical support. So if you have fallen, you can say, hey, Alexa, call 911, which is really, really great. And then um, she also talks to you as you are there and making the phone call until the the paramedic answers. So those are some things that are coming. Um, Unfortunately, like everything, they are a bit pricey, um, which is too bad. Maybe that'll change in the future when there's just more need. Um, But I I still think just even with all the extra technological devices, um, nothing can really replace that human touch and really physically having that person there. You know, if you're about to fall, your alert button's not going to catch you. Um, but I, it's, it's nice to sort of have them together and they can supplement each other well. So maybe you don't have to have someone there all the time, but just someone still to check on if you need that too. So. And a lot of these devices are not necessarily for the person, they're for their family. That's true. Um, so I have some clients, families that are like, I want to put ho- cameras in my parents' home so I could watch what they're doing. Like, because it's basically just a reassurance <laughs> for them that, um, you know, we just signed my grandmother who's 92 and very independent. I just got her a life alert just because when we're not around, she goes three places. She goes to Safeway, Trader Joe's and church. Um, so it's hard to lose her, but there was one day where we couldn't find her. <laughs> and so the, I called my dad and I said, you know, I think we just should just for our sake and for her, give her a life alert. Now she wears it around her neck and that makes her feel better. And it makes us feel better because it, um, we could know where she is. It has the GPS tracker. So those are just little tools that help Mm -hmm. families feel better. Um, simple things that take that, that ease the mind, which is really key when you have an aging adult in your life. And to Alessandra's point, uh, it's it's uh, peace of mind. I think for for everyone, right? Uh, as my my mom's ninety one. She signed a three year lease to on her car last year, and we're saying go. And, and, but yet, if you see how she parks sometimes, when we lost her for that little bit of time, you can understand there's a little bit of panic because sometimes she's on the street. So, but as we age, you know, there's there's other devices that are coming out. Um, and to Victoria's point, they're they're more informative. They're, there's trackers on GPS trackers on on shoes. Uh, there's other devices in the house that measure your gait to show when you're you're maybe it's it's, it's doing um, a comparison to show maybe slower difference. There may be some issues. Uh, uh, blood pressure monitoring online, some other things. And then also that, that interaction, as she was saying, with FaceTime in different ways to make the devices easier to use uh, as you age. But uh, the, the, I think looking at it, it's always going to be the touch versus tech and what's going to be important because we're finding or what we've seen from our, our point is the touch is huge. Um, it's preventative on a, a lot of times. Um, although, when you're home and somebody's in your house for say 12 hours and they're sitting down for six of them, there's a lot of time that the clients are looking going, what, what, what's going on here? Right? Because, you know, unless there's some action or activity going on or some other things, there is downtime. So that, that, that is an issue sometimes for the clients. However, that's, that is part of the thing. Um, 
the falls are going to be huge, caregivers coming in, the detection is going to be there. I think this generation is still more touch. I don't know if that's going to, it's obviously going to change in the next 10 to 20 years as everybody's going to, I don't know what other technology will be able to assist, but uh, we'll see some big things, I think, in the next 10 years because we're just not going to have enough people to take care of anybody, to everybody, um, and it's going to be a little, a little limited, so they're going to have to figure out how to kind of extend it out and keep everybody where they need to be. So other closing remarks, anybody? I just think that take the education for what it's worth and pass it on to just know that it's, a, it's an available assistance. Um, even if you think that it's not needed, it's, it's here. Uh, you can try it. It can be respite for you as an adult or look in to start some of having some of these new devices to just help prevent any big fall or big break. It's, that's what we, that's the goal. I think of everyone. No one wants that. Like I said, hospitals are not where you want to be. But be aware, obviously of, of the financial consequences of care. It's, it's significant. It's really significant. I mean, it's my business and there's times I look and I go, wow, it really, and there's nothing we could do about it. I mean, we live in a city, obviously, that the costs are high for everything. We're kind of used to paying more for everything that we do here. However, you know, to be able to stay in the city and enjoy it and do what we need to and, and stay at home is a significant cost. So uh, if anything, just be aware of your choices, uh, be aware of what your choices mean. And, um, and there's always assistance uh, as, a, as an advocate that that most of the agencies and anybody will get glad to help you with any uh, knowledge or or anything else that they have. So, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. So we'd like to remind our listening audience that this is a program with the Commonwealth Club of California, and you're listening to the personal side of home care. Our thanks to Frank Belanti, Alessandra Belanti, and Victoria Black. I'm Denise Michaud, chair of the club's grown-ups forum and I'll be moderating today's audience question period and I'm sure that we have some questions out there and we would because we're recording would like to get the mic with your questions where does Medicare and its supplements fit into this for what we're talking about it's it this is all private pay well what about the hospital stays you're talking about the um, uncovered say that again Hospital stays. On occasion, they do. On occasion, uh, a hospital will take care of the care for a short period for for an ex- a short to possible extended period of time. We see, what we see a lot of is um, with our hospice care. When we go into somebody's house for hospice care, that the that the hospital will take care of the cost because it does keep readmissions down, and having that person there, especially towards end of life, is is a big deal. So there there are instances where it kicks in. Well, for instance, if someone goes through emergency, correct, that's covered by Medicare. It is until you, you get out, unless there's a um, if it, it's a doctor prescribes care, then it's going to be skilled, and they'll pay for the skilled. But very rarely do they pay for the private. Are your caregivers um, knowledgeable in various languages so that you can make sure they can communicate? What languages? <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, yes. You know, we have Spanish speaking caregivers. Uh, you know, we have um, 
Do you have English speaking caregivers? We do have English. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, we do have. They English. all they all speak English. Yeah. Yes. Oh. It could be their second language, but all of them speak yes. English. Yes. Yes. If I could just get back to you for a moment. So one thing that I explain a lot during consults is there's home care and then there's in-home health. And that's prescribed by a doctor. And that includes services that are covered for a short duration of time um, after a hospital discharge. So if you need PT or physical therapy, occupational therapy or speech, also a visiting nurse or social worker, that can get prescribed and is covered for six to eight weeks usually by Medicare. Mm -hmm. Um, So, But those are considered skilled um, and specialty services, but then say we partner with them with in-home, in-home health agencies often where our caregivers learn the PT exercises that their PT prescribed and do them when they come. But we're, the cost of us is private while, you know, the co- they, PT comes one hour for twice a week for this duration of time, if that makes sense, which is covered. So I was curious about the um, the customer. So um, and kind of the the sales cycle for approaching that customer. Um, so for you guys, um, do you feel like the relatives of the person needing assistance um, is the one you um, kind of are generally approached by, or do you kind of um, generally talk with the person in need um, directly? That's kind of the first part of the question. Um, both. both. It it completely depends the circumstances, um, but I would say fairly. Even we have people where we specifically are mainly communicating with the adult children or others that they're in charge of their own care and schedule and talk to us directly. So you feel like that's pretty, pretty even, generally speaking? I think it's pretty even. Yeah. Oftentimes there's resistance from the, there's the family really thinks that their mom or dad needs it mm-hmm. and they're like, I'm fine. Or so, I'll take you one day a week. Yeah. So, and then they find that they, they like having someone come and then they're like, great, send them more. So it varies by person. Mm-hmm. Um, when we do our c- consults for care management, we like, we won't, we don't want to meet with someone without the actual individual that we'll be caring for there. They have to be there because we need to know them and understand their care needs. Mm-hmm. Um, and, th- you know, their interest in it can range from zero to I love it. I want someone bring right. them. So it, it varies by by person and mm-hmm. by their medical needs and where they're at. I see. And the other part of my question is just kind of on the other side of things. So um, you have the people that you're caring for, and then you mentioned uh, private versus agency, those kind of two terms. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was just kind of curious about like, who are the private people? Like, are, are they through your agency as well? Or are they just kind of like people that you might know? <clears throat> and you mentioned that you would have to deal with them like on a 1099 basis or something like that. Yeah, so private's usually word of mouth. If you've ever heard of care.com, you can go on, you can find a nanny or you can find a caregiver. Those are people that are just posting their services and they say, I'm a caregiver. You can hire me for X amount per hour. And, you know, there's no, you don't provide any coverage for insurance. You don't provide any of of those benefits of working with an agency. Um, And then a lot of times private's through word of mouth. Um, I know someone who cared for my, my friend's grandmother and do you want to talk to them? And they have a friend. Um, so that's kind of how that, that process works. Um, while agency is, you know, we, um, train, bond, screen, drug test our caregivers. And we have a roster of a hundred or so employees that work for us. Mm -hmm. That's the difference. So when you say agency, that's you guys. And then private is just apart from you completely. Okay. Got it. Thanks very much. Any other questions? The caregivers. Excuse me. Okay. Okay. I 
could you please be a little bit more specific uh, in terms of costs? Because uh, the range, because for those of us who have never sure. had to hire, yes. we don't know what yes. the difference is. So um, if you're going to go, uh, so if you're going to make the, the, the comparison between private and, and an agency, private, and this is a, a, a loose range, generally around $20 an hour. So you're hiring that person on your own. No insurance. You're 1099ing them, um, but you are responsible for everything just in case anything happens to them. Um, for us, it's uh, 36 to $38 dollars an hour. So that includes, again, workers' comp that we take care of, the scheduling, somebody doesn't show up. Private is you're, you've worked out a, a deal with one individual, and sometimes they'll find somebody to cover for them if they're sick or because that happens quite often, not quite often, but people get sick or something comes up, and then you're expecting them to come, and all of a sudden they don't come. And um, the, we take care of, uh, agencies take care of all that. Uh, private would call a friend or somebody else in, in, that they know that does this, to cover for them possibly and possibly not, but there's a significant cost differential, obviously. But again, uh, the burden of employer versus versus being a, a consumer. Does a caregiver <clears throat> do chores such as cleaning the house? They do. Laundry. Yes, they do. Uh, for for our specific. For the agencies, generally speaking, the rule of thumb is no more than twenty percent for uh, for chores. For but they do they'll they'll make the bed, do laundry. The whole idea being because we'll get calls quite often that people are actually looking for a cleaning service that were cheaper than a cleaning service, kind of for them. <laughs> uh, so they're trying to kind of see if they could kind of maneuver around. But yes, they they take care of things, meet light meal prep, uh, shopping, uh, all those things. Is there a cutoff point in the way of um, mental capacity of the patient? So, you know, there's various grades of dementia, right? So at what point, if you even have a cutoff point where, you know, we're not really qualified to do this or this person needs more care than what we can provide? You know, I, I think what you see, because uh, we have a, a maybe 15%, 20% of our caregivers, I think, are, are dementia trained, if I'm not mistaken. I'm, I'm somewhere right around there. Um, when you start seeing the inability to be safe in the home for, for this client and for a caregiver, because we, we find sometimes there's instances where our caregivers go in and it's not safe for them either just because of some of the client behavior. So it's kind of like a dual, a dual, we have care logs. So it's noted every day our caregivers take uh, do, uh, daily care logs just to go for behavior and also the care. Uh, care managers do uh, uh, quality assurance visits to go ahead. So we, we've been successful with quite a few. I think when there's a safety issue or it looks like there's something, you know, by that time you're working with it, there's a doctor involved and usually everybody's working as a team. So it's all individual and it just depends. Yeah, I, hopefully that answers your question. Yeah, I don't. I don't think yeah. we have. Um, cut off. We don't have a cutoff to answer that. If we feel that their needs are too high and we cannot do it, typically they shouldn't be at home anymore any longer. To be honest, um, so that is something that that we see and that we, you know, there's many 
facilities that, that exist, especially here in the city. We're very fortunate where there's more skilled nursing on hand. Um, so sometimes that could be the next yeah. step for them or, or if it's, it's a safety issue, like Frank said. So if we see that we have referral partners that we work with in the city that have memory care units and we might call them and have them talk to the family and see if that would be a safer environment for their family. Um, people, you know, those who have advanced dementia and Alzheimer's, sometimes they wander and there's some safety things that, yeah, that happen and, um, and they can't be left unattended. And so at that point, if, if you don't want to have round the clock care, it might be beneficial for them to move into some place that is, has a memory care unit. And so that's when having an agency has a benefit because you have those kind of experts like us who can give you some recommendations of what to do because it's what we, what we see every day. Um, I'm an occupational therapist with home health. And so also to add to your question about caring for a person at home, often if somebody is falling or if the agency is um, personnel are really concerned about keeping um, a client at home, um, by that time they've contacted the family and the physician bring in home health um, and, you know, you do a full evaluation. And if we see that it's really not safe, it, it becomes more of a collaborative effort. Um, what's the safest place for for the person. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's definitely a team. For sure. And I would say like my dad, he wouldn't leave home no matter what. Yeah. Even, even though so. it was a hundred percent unsafe. <laughs> On the charges. <clears throat> now you mentioned an hourly charge, but is there some sort of a, a an assessment and uh, preliminary charge in order no. to employ your services or there's, the hourly there's... charge everything? There is not. It, it, the hourly covers covers it all. Well, we're getting close to the end of our program, and so we have time for one more question. Anybody have a question? Okay, one more question. <laughs> I was just kind of curious about um, some of the technology that you all were talking about. So you mentioned like medication management, the GrandPad, Alert, Bracelets, Alexa, Google Home, that kind of stuff. How have you felt about kind of like the reception of that? Like I'm kind of curious like when you've introduced those tools or kind of talked about them with the elderly people that could benefit from them, what's the reception to stuff like that? I think it depends on what you're introducing. The, the virtual visits is wonderful because normally they, they're seeing people a lot more than they ever did. So that seems, it's more of um, sort of a pushback and like, I don't know how to use this thing. What are you bringing into my home? But if you can kind of show that it's quite easy, um, that's, been, that's been great. Okay. I know I personally, the, the pill reminder ones that play music, they just become annoying, but they, they do their purpose. So I don't know if they would say that they like them, but they're taking their medication, you know. So <laughs> I don't know what you guys think of people receiving. I think the alert bracelets are also like, yeah. What, yeah. That's just a sense of security, I think, too, is mm -hmm. just to wear those devices just to know that if I do fall. Or they do it for, for someone else's yeah. to feel better. Okay, I don't need this, but I'll wear it so you stop nagging it. <laughs> You know? And they make them now so that like they're 
you can put it down like you're not yeah. noticeable so you're not walking around like i have my device on i think that right. that's a key a pride thing too that comes into play a lot mm-hmm. is i'm fine i'm independent but it's just that extra sense of security um i would say that the one pushback i get is on the technology piece because it seems overwhelming but the more you can simplify it mm-hmm. it seems more doable Mm-hmm. And when you mentioned virtual visits, so you said virtual visits on the pad, um, mm-hmm. is that just for companionship purposes or is there like a medical component to that? Are they visiting their doctors on that or anything? Or? I do not know that that exists now, but I wouldn't be surprised if it starts. Mm-hmm. So they can also then doctors could, right. I mean, that's smart. Right. We should start probably advertising it to hospitals. Right. But at this an moment, option. It's at this moment, yeah, it's mo- mostly companionship is what I've seen it used as. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Well, our thanks to Frank Belanti, Alessandra Belanti, and Victoria Black uh, for their comments here today. We also like to thank our audience here as well as those listening to the recording. And just before we close, Frank, can you give the listening audience a way to contact you? Sure. Yes. Uh, <laughs> if, if you need any, and, and we're there for assistance. Really, we could we could guide you. There's a lot of times the people will call us that. And it, and you don't have to feel like you we're 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 here to assist and and we could we have a lot of resources that sometimes it's not us that we could get you in touch with and and our number I guess would be four one five four four one six four nine zero there's cards there if there's anything we could ever do and we could connect you we we're, we're more than happy to kind of be of any assistance whatsoever with expertise or whatever else we could get. Thank you. Yes. And now this meeting of the Commonwealth Club of California commemorating its 116th year of enlightened discussion is adjourned.